You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. So this is Catch-22, so you're going to get it from either age group, but I'd rather get the vicious talent of, of a 25-year-old monster. You know what I mean? And uh, so I, I, you know, all the guys in the band are in their mid-20s to, to early 30s, and, and um, you know, they're younger than the music they're playing, but they play it better than we played it. I mean, they honestly... You know, and it's not a slide on the original band. It's just that we we had a lot of problems. Uh, you know, the original guys. Uh, um, you know, Rand was a tremendous guitar player, um, but some not always. You know, not 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 if he not if he had a bad night. You know what I mean? And he was kind of sloppier. Today's musicians are just more disciplined, so there's less slop. Hey, what's up, everyone? Matt here from Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. I hope that you had a killer weekend. I most certainly did. This Fox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal are Montreal's premier metal promoter. And if you are ever in Montreal, trust me when I say this, if you are looking for a killer show to go to, Heavy Montreal will have you covered. I am beyond stoked to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there's someone in your life that just loves extreme music and loves craft beer, well, you should definitely let them know that the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast exists. You could tell them that there are over 400 episodes where I sit down with some of the world's best metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while enjoying craft beers. If you would encourage one of your metalhead, beer-loving friends to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. This week on the podcast, I'm very stoked to be with Kelly Schaefer of Atheist and Till the Dirt. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops episode number 442. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm very stoked to be with Kelly Schaefer of Atheists and Till the Dirt. Uh, Kelly, very stoked to be hanging out with you because uh, we are doing something uh, cool coming up. We're actually going on tour together in a little bit more than two months at this point, a little bit less than two months. And uh, we've sort of met a long time ago. I can't remember quite when. And it was like 2010s, 2012, 2014, something around then. Um, but, you know, yeah, it was right, the after chance... Ju- right after we did Jupiter 2010, we played a festival. Exactly. How do you say that festival? How do you pronounce it? It was Trois-Rivières Metal Fest. Yeah, you have to be. You have to have a little French in you. You got to have a little, to pronounce a little role in your R's there. Uh, to have the opportunity to use the podcast or something like this, where I could sit down with someone and get to know them a little better before living on the road with them for a month, is something that I'm extremely grateful for. So I said, "Why not? Let's do this." And it's you know, it's early 2024. I've been on holiday break for a few weeks and jumping back and doing interviews. Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year. Hell yeah, man! Ready and, for a new- uh, Makes yeah. me real, real happy. So let's just start with a very simple, how are you doing? I am fabulous. I just a uh, nice big drink of my Jaeger, which we were just chuckling about. <laughs> um, yeah, just, you know, glad, glad to head into the new year. Um, was happy with last year. Last year was a lot of fun, but it's always good to have a fresh new set of sheets, you know? And uh, that's it's, it's uh, and, and especially with news right at the top of the year. So um, hell yeah, really, really looking forward to digging into it. Just jumping straight back onto tour, I love it. Uh, and you know, it is Vox and Hops. And typically, I hang out with the my metal friends who talk about their lives and music while drinking craft beer. But you yourself, you're enjoying your poison of choice, which is yes. Everyone who knows me knows that uh, Jägermeister is my is my uh, poison of choice. <laughs> Jäger bombs, preferably uh, Red Bull. So it's it's it's, it's something I've drank for. I was actually sponsored by them when I was in Neurotica in um, really? two, 2002. We were on OzFest, and so I would wake up on the bus every day. There would be a bottle of Jaeger and a bottle of Grey Goose because uh, uh, Cindy, Fra- Cindy Frank was the uh, pr- promoter. <laughs> and so that's where it began. And um, you mix a little Red Bull in it, and it kind of. I just always know how much I can drink. You know, like. That's, oh, a, I've had, that's I've had, a blessing. I've had three, because, you know what I mean? If you, if you dip between beer, like if you have three beers and then a shot of tequila and then two really good craft beers, all of a sudden you're fucking up. You know, you're like, oh man. I, and once once you've gone over the edge, you can't go back. So so I learned a long time ago as a as an elder statesman, I can I can monitor my uh, 
my rise throughout the evening, you know. <laughs> well, I will uh, follow in your footsteps uh, on tour, and hopefully you can pupil me uh, to, to better learn my limits. Uh, tonight, hypothetically, might not do that because I'm drinking a big beer. This is uh, from Baracity Harry Canna here in Montreal. It's a collab uh, that was given to me by my good friend uh, Jack. He runs a uh, craft beer store that's been open for 10 years here in Montreal, and he did a collab. He did a bunch of collabs to celebrate his 10th anniversary, and this is their 5411, and it's a quadruple Belgian quad-style brew that they aged in Porto barrels, and it's an 11 point... It's up there, 11.8, which typically means that it's over 12% here in Quebec. And uh, Jack's a cool guy. I've, uh, I toured in the States for the first time. He was doing merch cryptopsy, and he's been doing this for the past 10 years. So wow. cheers to Jack, and cheers to a long life of his craft beer store, which is called Fidigo de Bacchus. That's a thing with craft beer that you could teach me about it, you know, uh, because I, I, you know, I bartended for a while, but it was kind of in the period where craft beer was just, just kind of emerging. Um, but I, I did, in that short time, find that... Uh, you have to be really careful which beer you're having. Yes. And also, I, I remember, I remember uh, years ago the difference between American beer and, and you know like terrain in Europe in the early '90s. Um, you get over there and you get a case of or, or more of whatever beer. Like I, tw- <laughs> we toured with Benediction in 1993, and those boys can drink, man. And they they got six cases of beer, like you know, huge bottles, and they were just they didn't even put them in the fridge or anything. You just drank it at room temperature and. Uh, but uh, yeah, like significantly different than growing up American and drinking beer flavored water. Essentially, is what we have here. You know, it's gotten I guess a little better over the years, but back in the day, totally. But there's always that that mythic thing that I'd always hear. Oh, you're from Canada, so the beer is stronger. It's well, true that yeah, that's what I always thought. I mean, that's what I always found as well. Um, it you know, is the, the that's the, the, typically the, in the states it's, it ranges between four and five percent, especially if you're going for those big market beers. The the buzz. I think the there millers. was a I think there was a law at some point that got lifted it. And that's why the beers got a little bit better here. I remember uh, maybe somewhere in the in the nineties, uh, they allowed a little more percentage on the beer. But yeah, I'll have to um, you'll have to school me on that while we're out on the on the road. You know, with with great pleasure. And and, cheers, uh, man. Cheers to you. It's gonna be great. Looking forward to it. So, what kind of stuff are you doing out? Are you doing how much are you doing from the new album? We are doing a lot. This discussion that we keep having is what is the acceptable amount of new material you can play nowadays? And what do you think as a fan when you go see a band that you love? What, how, how much of that? Because that's the tricky, that's the tricky falls answer. Into the it? discussion yeah. right there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, typically Dee Snider calls the new songs the bathroom breaks. That's when everyone will, will step up and walk that's to the bathroom. Well, sometimes. that's because he wrote them. You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, you know, we're not all right and fucking, you know. Uh, bathroom break songs, man. What the fuck? You we know, are so playing. I, we always play a lot of Nunsel Vile and with Blasphemy Made Flesh celebrating an anniversary in 2024, we're definitely going to do some heavily focused Blasphemy Made Flesh uh, songs. Something that we have discovered is that we want to play songs that have a lot more melody and groove aspects to them. So we've been digging through the catalog, hoping to dig out some of those, which uh, might push some certain albums out of the way for the time being until we celebrate those but uh it's hard because it's like going on it's like going on vacation and only taking some of your kids yes you know what i mean it's impossible. like it's, it's, it's yeah it's really hard to pick a set list you know and and <clears throat> these days you know you can readily see people's uh either gratefulness or dismay at, at your choice <laughs> you know <laughs> whereas back in the day you just play and you, and you dipped out of town and you never heard about it anymore but now true. you go you read the Instagram the next day, and they're like, they didn't fucking play this, and they didn't play it. It's like, oh, you know, how long can we play? You know, I yeah. mean, uh, we, we were doing, uh, on the Cynic thing, almost 90 minutes. and Wow. Okay. Yeah, man, we did like 18 shows in a row in 90 minutes, and I was like, ah. You know, I was like, I, that, felt, that felt so good, because our whole career was always like 45-minute slots. You know, I mean, it never, it, you got to quickly... Get through if you want to get ten songs in, you got to not talk any shit in between no songs. Talking, can, yeah. You know, yeah, it's really hard. So it was nice to just relax and play all the songs that we wanted to play. And um, so, and this time, I guess it's not going. We're not going to get to play quite that long. But uh, but it's fun. That was the first time. Uh, have you ever had to do those kind of sets, 90 minutes? We typically draw a line around 70 minutes. Flo sort of... Uh, I think that's a smart move. ...has uh, a, a threshold that he likes to keep within, and he thinks that he's fed people enough. I In Japan just recently, our FOH, FOH was really pushing us to stretch things out, but I just sort of did a lot longer speeches. I felt like, a, like Bob Barker at moments, just <laughs> rambling <laughs> on to the crowd. 
Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, it's I, I, that must be difficult, actually, uh, over there, because I talk very fast, so uh, you really have to, like, That's exactly slow what I down do. to... To talk to them in any, and it almost sounds condescending, but it's the way it has to be, <laughs> so that they can, everyone can understand exactly. What I, the think I think it's really all across. about. I think we all, we've all learned from Rob Halford and Dickinson that it's all about inflection. You could be True. like, uh, you could say you know, and then as soon as they hear the, you know, then they're like, that's true. They don't know what the fuck you said. You know, they they can at least react. You know, it's true. Take me back to beer. Um, do you remember your first beer? Can you bring me back to that that first experience that you had with beer, that first uh, liquid water there? Yeah, and it was probably like a, an old Milwaukee. Mm. That was actually early one of mine, too, actually. It was an old Milwaukee up here in Montreal. My, it might have been a Bush beer. One of those two, though, definitely. And um, in the early stages of going to school and drinking beer, uh, it was whatever we could get somebody to buy for us. Exactly. Um, so a lot of times it became Bud. You know, there wasn't really a Bud Light thing back then. It was mm-hmm. all straight Budweiser. And, uh, and then in, in Florida, this uh, brand came out called Ice House, which was really kind of good. And, and then Coors. Actually, there was a period of time where Coors beer wasn't able to... <clears throat> they weren't able to sell it uh, on the East Coast, um, east east of, east of the Rockies for some reason. Interesting. And uh, and I remember that being a big deal. We were in high school. I was probably yeah tenth grade, and I was going to like a performing arts school. And uh, we had the last two days of school, and cores had just became uh, available. And uh, we grabbed a couple of cases of it, and, and and it really tasted amazing. It tasted. You know, way different than uh, Bush and, and Budweiser, and but I think about it now, and I just think, oh, you know, beers come so far, you know, since since those days. I mean, I'm 55, so I was, you know, it was in the late 80s, mid 80s, late 80s. Um, so yeah, the 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 beer drinker these days shouldn't feel so, um, shouldn't feel like the underbelly as they would back in the day. You know what I mean? Like these days, you can be an elitist beer drinker. Unbelievably so, and I will show you all about that. But <laughs> albeit, albeit, in in exactly, it's 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 really transformed into something like that. Although Flo did capture a few pictures of me, and I'll be honest, and I'll say it on the podcast at Mexico Metal Fest, where I was drinking a Coors Light, and he made me pose for an illicit <laughs> picture with it, uh, just because Coors Light, exactly, Coors Light is Flo's nectar of choice. Uh, how about uh, all, all, you all of your friends with little tiny ponytails are upset with? You know, back at the beer play. <laughs> and the big beard. Uh, take me to, to discovering Jägermeister and that experience. And was it really on that Ozfest or was it before that? When, when did all, no, that uh, all come together? Well, yeah, so uh, it kind of all... I, I, it happened a little before Ozfest. Um, uh, when Neurotica, before we got signed, um, I, I hung out at this bar. I, w- I live in Sarasota, Florida, which is uh, right on the west coast of Florida, right on the beach. And uh, there was a bar there called Gilligan's. And um, and the owner was a friend of mine. And he was just this really great guy. And he, he became one of the first places in the country to sell Jaeger uh, with Red Bull. Because Red Bull is just kind of emerging as well as a, as a, as a brand, uh, so it would probably be more in the two, the year two thousand. And so inevitably, we we ended up signing with the WWE and Vince McMahon and and uh, signed this big deal. And, and we're going out on Ozfest, and so we got a Jaeger endorsement. And there was a guy named Rick Zeiler there, um, and he was the guy who was in charge, and he was just a really great guy. And they used to make uh, posters for our shows. Uh, give us shot glasses and anything we want, any kind of swag. We want it for free. Mm-hmm. It was uh, such a great deal. Jaeger was so supportive they back then. So these I just, taps too back in the day. These cold taps where you put the bottles in upside down. There, I know yeah, that they endorsed yeah. some Canadian bands and they did that. Well, they, they they would put our band names on anything we wanted. That's so so cool. would, but as long as Jaeger was on the other side, mm-hmm. you know. And I mean, if you think about that today, I, I you know nobody nobody really stretches out for, for local. They would do this with local bands, unsigned yeah. bands as well. So we just happened to get signed, and so when we got signed, I called Zyler and I was like, you know, can, can you? Uh, and they were already sponsoring the tour, so um, or co-sponsoring it. And so then every day we were just like hooked up, and they had a big party at Zyler's mansion in San Diego at the end of the tour, and uh, good times. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And so I, I just, I guess, I feel a, a sense of brand loyalty. You know, they were there early in my career, and uh, it is and medic- I it, it is medicinal too, and it's, it's a little nicer too. It's twenty three percent, if I remember correctly, something like that. It's not like a forty percent hard liquor, but it's highly effective. And, um, and, 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 and I, as we were talking off camera, we were saying, uh, you know, that I, I can, I know exactly how much of that I can drink uh, to maintain composure, and, and uh, depending on my scenario. 
Mm, you know that I mean? that so, comes from experience and hypothetically slipping up beforehand too. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You know, when you get out with friends, and you know, one of the worst things in the world is I don't know if you smoke pot, but you know, if you get out for a night of drinking mm-hmm. and uh, you know you're just having a great time, and somebody goes, "Oh, I got to join you. Want to go smoke?" That's the worst thing that can happen to you mm-hmm. um, because pot these days is so much stronger than it was back then. So that can really wreck your night. So all these all these life experiences uh, I've. I've encountered and I've learned uh, to be a more professional drinker and uh, partaker in, in smoking and the combination of the two, you know, to maintain the show. Show's got to go on. But I'll tell you, listen, I, I, I love to have a, a, sh- a shot or two before I go on stage. It's really kind of an important part of my process. So I don't know. Do you do that? You no, but I, now I'm interested. I, I've toured with people that enjoy a little bit of hard liquor right before going, before going on stage. And I'm questioning the, the the vox part of the podcast here now does that something that helps like warm up your throat because i've toured with people where they're on stage and if they're not feeling it they're screaming for a bottle they're, they're screaming for a bottle of jack for their voice for me it's about getting into character and being like i'm i'm so not the person uh that, that you know that voice and that and that person on stage i'm just not that person off off the stage and so it really is a role and and part of that role is uh, being terrified. You, you know, pe- people don't think about. I mean, maybe they do think about it. Maybe that's why not everybody does this. What we do, you know. But you got to admit, you know, you walk out in front of a festival of uh, you know yeah, thirty thousand people. There's always a, a little goosebumps. Your knee, and, yeah, your knees yeah. are a little shaky. You're like, oh fuck, man. You know, because yeah. especially us as singers, mm-hmm. every, everyone's just fucking staring right at you, and it's <laughs> it's a little overwhelming, you know. But it's not at all overwhelming if I just have just. If I just round my edges just a little bit, and you know, I, I, I don't recommend it for everybody. It's just just for me, you know. But uh, everybody has their vices that sort of allow them to get to the level they feel comfortable at. You know, I mean, um, I definitely there's nothing worse than seeing somebody all shit faced on stage though. That's, no, yes, we've all seen those so, videos. So, so you know, there's a and... there's a fine line between uh, those things, you know. And because I don't have to play, you know, atheist is very challenging music, so I don't have to play guitar anymore on stage. So that that lightens my load a little bit. It allows me to uh, to be a little more colorful, you know. <laughs> I have a whole thing about that later. I'll bring it up to that. Uh, <laughs> it is true, though, that, that having to get into character is something that sometimes it's easy, but sometimes it has to be learned. And sometimes you're going through a shitty day, and the fans that are in the room still deserve that perfect performance from you. And if two shots of Jaeger helps just snap you into front man mode, yeah then yeah it really does it allows it gives me courage it's really not about now you know i don't uh my voice you know the, the voice thing is questionable now when i was in neurotica and i was singing it was a little more uh i was a little more concerned about you know the the quality of my voice because i was having to sing sing where i had to do harmonies and stuff like that but notes, yeah. with, with that death and thrash metal vocals are you know mine are very high and witchy so if anything it helps me a little bit you know, um, and, but it really is like I don't know if you're the the kind of singer that on a if somebody uh, like you could just on a dime somebody could be like oh give it give it to me and you just go raw you know are you that guy yeah I can probably the, the, yeah. the low growl yeah 100 percent most of the time like the, yeah. the, like I'm just like it, it's um for like I was we toured with Vitriol and I love those guys I think love they're one them. of the best yeah. best yeah. new new bands I the, agree the record fucking ferocious man and if you don't know about them look them up 100%. And, uh, but but when we were on the cattle tour uh they were they were opening and uh backstage those two guys they have two vocalists and yeah they're the real fucking deal man they sound like goddamn monsters oh, and, yeah. and i was like i envied that i was like man these fucking young bastards you know yeah, you, kyle kyle you just and sound Adam. like monsters just, yeah just, i just love them they were great and uh can't say enough about them but yeah i'm not that guy like i've got a Somebody's got to poke me in the chest to get me to fight. You know, I mean, like it's, it's uh, so that's yeah. interesting. That's, We're all that's different. Very, very interesting. <laughs> Take me to uh, the classic Vox and Hops question: the soundtrack of your youth when you were growing up in your parents or guardians' house. What music was playing when you were not control of the radio? What music did your parents or guardians listen to? Well, my father um, was only uh, living with us until I was seven, and mm-hmm. so my recollection of him was he literally would play. Uh, it was all about Hendrix and Joplin, and um, he, he was he was very uh, machismo about music. So he had a you know real strong opinion. But looking back on it now, he's passed now. Uh, rest in peace, Dad. But mm-hmm. but he uh, but he 
he also would play Richard Pryor tapes for me. You know, kind of seven years old, you know what I mean? Or he would play them in my presence, I should say. Yes, exactly. And, uh, so, so he had a bit of a. Uh, uh, my mom was uh, from Kentucky, and she was very sort of country, and and sort of this. Um, she she's the most uh, like she likes music, but she, music is so not important to her in her life, which blows my fucking mind because I can't imagine life without music. But for her. If she never had music in her whole life, she wouldn't care, you know. And was like, wow. But uh, back when she was younger, she listened to a lot of, um, you know, your your typical pop. You know, she was dancing and stuff like that. So, but when they split up when I was eight years old, my mom went a little wild, and she started hanging around with. Uh, I think I've told this story a couple of times. With have you ever seen the movie? Um, uh, uh, what is it called? Shit, Mask. Uh, not with Jim Carrey, but the the other one with Sam Elliott and Cher. Yes, it's a movie called Mask, and yes. it's about a kid with, uh, with a yes. deformed face. Well, that lifestyle was my lifestyle all of a sudden. So I went from this. My dad was pretty strict, and he was like a he's just a different kind of guy. So our household was really kind of vanilla, and then all of a sudden it got very bikerish. And so that's when I learned about Black Black Sabbath, and wow. and uh, so at, at eight, nine, and ten years old, I was getting a healthy dose of sex and and a lot of music. Not me personally, but just seeing it and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty debaucherous. My mom, my mom is the sweetest lady right now, you know. But I mean, she 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 hit the ground running when she broke up because she was in hell for 13 years with my father. So bless her heart, man. She she deserved it. But uh, I was right there, soaking it all in, you hell know. Yeah. And uh, and so yeah, it was Black Sabbath, uh, Alice Cooper, and and then I in Kansas and Boston and you know all that 70s shit. And um, so. That's why, you know, as a death metal guy, I, I, I've always felt like I've had a really healthy history of, you know, like I really know where, you know, music comes from. And, and you know, and, and I think that's helped atheists be separated a little bit because, I, you know, wrote a lot of the guitar stuff. And there's, you know, qu- quite a few moments where I I hear things in atheists that I know are like Directly something, linked to something, something else, from yeah. Sabotage, from Black Sabbath, you know, like, uh, which I love that album so much. But I hear things that I stole it's funny. Do you hear things that you steal? Yes. Uh, I don't necessarily write the music aspect of stuff, but I know that everything is always linked to something else, and that's for sure. Yeah. Or, you know, even vocally, you may, you may uh, pronounce a word a particular way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And not, not even realize it. I, I, didn't re- I didn't realize it as much until I got into my, like, 40s, and I went back and listened back to, and like... Re-listening to your catalog, yeah. Like, well, no, re-listening to the shit that I listened to when I was... Okay. Before, before yeah. I had a catalog. Uh, like, old, <laughs> yeah. old, old Merciful Fate. Yeah. I, I stole so much. Like, I, musically, I hear things that I, I stole. Or the, the idea, the kind the, yeah. the, the, the technique. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can hear those things in that, and... Uh, but, I mean, isn't that what all music is? Totally. We, we, That's exactly we, what we, I was going to say, for sure. Know, and, and, and so, you know, it's funny how harsh critics are these days, and you're going through it right now. I just put out the Till the Dirt record. I just went through the, the barrage of everyone's, the world according to everyone. You they're know, all, you make they're all experts, apparently, now. And uh, that's yeah, okay. Sure. The internet gives everyone a voice. We choose uh, to listen and or not listen, and that's all, that's all we can do in this aspect you know what of I, things. But I, I miss the real journalist, the real music journalist, you know I mean? not the That's true. Not just the, the, any guy with an IP address, man. You know, I mean, I just miss the the <laughs> guy true, that actually man. has a history of you know, and no, because it's it's nothing's more annoying than having the, somebody compare me vocally to a modern singer mm-hmm. because it's just not like come on, you know. What I mean, it's like a, you wouldn't um, you wouldn't go to like Rob Halford and say you sound a little bit like that Jared Leto guy. <laughs> like he'd be like, what <laughs> the fuck are you talking about? Like, that's an odd analogy, no, but you know what I'm saying. He was a baby when I was doing come it. Come on now. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> but I, I love to tell people where my vocal, where I stole my vocals from. You know, Millet from Creator, fucking yes. uh, Schmier from Destruction. Yes. You know, I mean, I was really into that German shit, you know, when I was young. And plus, I didn't have a good, I didn't have the, I didn't have a good high quality deep. So I was like, yeah, the high shit's where I'm at, you know. <laughs> Did you fall into a lot of people fall into being an extreme vocalist because there was no one else to do it? Were you like basically the most proficient in the room and they pushed you towards it? Is that, is that it's, your story? Exactly what, yeah. In the beginning of Atheist, uh, when we were called Ravage, we had a singer that sounded kind of like Paul Diano. Mm-hmm. And, um, and once, uh, once he did, once we cleared from him, there was, I just gave it a shot. You know, I just jumped on the mic and kind of gave it a shot and, uh, and, and then, and then we ended up, uh, yeah, that's how it ended up. So, 
I bet that happens a lot, though. How did you end up doing it? You know, I music always wanted to be a singer. No, I... I do you, do you sing as well? I am a clean vocalist, primarily. I took some Broadway training. Nice. Voice lessons when I was young to keep me in shape. My aunt actually bought me uh, voice lessons when I was very, very 18, when I was just starting out doing bands. A new metal child, I'll, I'll admit it. Um, into all of that. I was 16 in 1999, you know, so... Just just love that shit growing up. And then just more and more started listening to more and more extreme stuff and I fell into being a death metal vocalist. It's just something. Well, yeah, so so what what band was it that really kinda to where you went? The trigger trigger of the extreme low growl was it's a later album too, because I'm I'm so young, was uh, Kill from Cannibal Corpse and George's oh, yeah? delivery on it is just unbelievable. Yeah. And that monster. really, really changed. And so what did you do? You go you go in your room and just try it and you're like, Oh shit. I, I got was it in too. a band at the time already, so I was I just tried bringing in these elements. We were in a, a metalcore band. We were in a Kill Switch Engage worship yeah. band before I was in Cryptopsy. And I just tried to bring in these new elements of a low guttural growl, which I already had like a few little things because I like to mess with my voice, like very heavy Mike Patton influence. So I would Love already, Mike Patton. already Love mess him. around with weird voices and a low growl was there. But to have such a consistent enunciated bark let's say is something that really came from george and that kill album for sure yeah you know i think one of the things that's that's really separates because there's everybody's got it you know these days there's everybody's got the you know the voice or whatever but the it's that enunciation is really really important i saw you guys play um god where was it? it was in tampa and after the show it was at a point i'm trying to think of the time period but I remember asking Flo to play drums. I needed a drummer. And I was like, Flo, would you, would you play drums for ATC? He's like, shit, man. He's like, I just agreed to do the, uh, he's the, doing the thing with, da- with David. Yeah. And, and uh, he's like, oh, I'd love to do that. And I was like, because uh, I just, you know, he's obviously, Steve Flynn, our, our original drummer, was always a, a fan of Flo. And, you know, and it's just, he's just an incredible uh, player. But, um, you know, vocally, I always wonder how, you know, and what what is that turning point? I don't even remember my turning point of. I guess it was just creator. I think Pleasure to Kill was just like he's saying well, something. I can understand yeah. what he's saying. Yeah, that, and, and <laughs> well, and and um, who else was really really great at enunciation? I mean, uh, these days, like in, in modern vocalists, that's something I think is really uh, separates the men from the boys. You know, what I mean, being able to understand is like so damn important. You know, because. Uh, in, I spend a lot of time in the studio on the new record, making sure everything. Well, I, I know what I was saying is I saw your your, your performance, and you know it's funny having this conversation with you right now. Um, it's remarkable how different you are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, how, how, and it's something I always tell people in, uh, that are outside of the metal realm. Like, if you would be blown away at the guys that are at the top of the game. To, if you had a conversation with them, there's this preconception of, of We're evil, uh, horrible monsters, yeah. knuckle dragging, yeah. dum dums. You know, it's like, you know, uh, and and so I remember going to Vakan in 2006 and looking up over the the horizon at all the black shirts, which is just a something to behold. If anybody that's ever gone to Vakan, yeah. it is literally like an entire city of our people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, if you wear a yellow shirt in that place, you you, well, you could tell you fine at least. Yeah, you could be like, "Yo, I'm going to dip out 400 yards this way. I'll, I'll wave my hand. You'll see me." Exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I um, but your performance on stage was like, um, there's so many. I use this term, but it's not used. The, the modern kids use the term shoegazing a lot. Um, but I see, you know, there's a lot of singers that don't know what to do themselves. You, you know, I think you subscribe to the same thing that I do. Is that you're the front man, you're the MC. You're, you're, you're you will, you will listen to me. You will, you will put your fucking hands in the air. It's our job. You, you it's, know, it's you, half the yeah. job. You know, like the guys, and, uh, their their hands are busy. Mine aren't. I so. always respect that, you know, because I think that that's one of the things that uh, that I felt has, se- has separated me a little bit from from sort of modern guys that's, you know, I'm not interested in looking evil or, or you know what I mean any of those things but I am interested in being involved you know what I mean I, I need everybody involved here we're all fucking in this room together let's get it together you know and um, and I think that comes from that uh, old school rock that that um, 
you know, watching old school front men sort of command the show, and including our friend D. Snyder. Hell yes. Oh, he's, he's a killer. In all fairness, you know. It's funny you got signed to w- WWE because a lot of the time, and I'm not in, I, a lot of things have changed as I'm getting older, and as, one of them is I'm getting into birding. <laughs> That's <laughs> I'm giving it, letting a lot go on the podcast today. <laughs> I'm getting into birding. I'm more interested in birds as I get older. And another thing that I'm interested in again is um, when I grew up, wrestling was huge, right? So I'm finding myself getting back into wrestling. And as I'm looking at these guys, and there's so much of us being a frontman is so close to wrestling. Yeah. The, the persona on stage and the entertaining yeah, the crowd. And building a set is the same way of building, let's say, a match. It's something that I've been thinking about recently in my, as I'm getting older. Do you know who else is, you know, else is great is uh, Jason from Origin. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Kaiser like he is has, awesome. Well, the reason, <laughs> well, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a directorial aspect mm-hmm. to it that, that I think all the best front men have where you're, you're helping everybody follow along. Because some people don't you know, know what to know. do. They don't, and then so when you watch somebody who's like, <clears throat> you know, Frank Mullen, this this oh, is yeah. histo- this is historical. Yeah, you know, this is a uh, this is like um, a, a, a timing, you know, for everybody out there that can't follow along. <laughs> you know, I mean, I love that shit, man. Yeah. I love you know because there's just not enough of that um, because there's always been this stigma of well, we got to keep it real, you know, we got to keep it small and, and sort of understated as as extreme metal. It, it could be so. flamboyant. You know. It could be a little more. You know, I think so. It could be yeah. theatrical, almost. Absolutely. And I and I really do think that a crowd, a lot of the times, and I'll watch a crowd when I'm not on the stage, and the crowd is just waiting for permission. Yep. And and direction. Yeah. Like, they are, we going, move. are we going fast now? Are we going fast? Let's go fast. They you want know, to move. We just yeah. did Saudi Arabia, and uh, I was given like a rule book. Of what oh, I couldn't God. do on stage. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't. It wasn't too bad. I couldn't swear and I couldn't tell the crowd to move. And that was like something like that. I'm so ingrained in me. Not, oh, the swe- not necessarily the swearing, but the, the co- making a crowd move. But they moved themselves, so it was okay. I, I have to ask you because that just, that just happened a, a few weeks ago, right? Yeah, it was early December. Yeah, that's balls, dude. It was crazy. That is balls to go there. I mean, just to fly like we as a band couldn't go. You couldn't put atheist on a marquee in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would absolutely yeah, be very exactly, unsafe yeah. for us. So yeah. uh, we were talking about all, aborted too. Aborted. I don't think we'll ever make it out there. <laughs> Cryptopsy, they probably, they were like, you know, I don't know what the word for that. Did you ask what the word for that is? And, and I, I didn't actually know. That's, that would have been an interesting uh, question. I wonder, uh, yeah, I wonder what that is. And, and, but they put your name right on the marquee, though. Like, in, uh, It was a room that did not have a marquee. I'll say that. I'll be honest. It wasn't the biggest room, but it was still a good room. What a gig, man! It what was a, crazy. What a what a, a box to check off. Yeah, it was it was an experience. As a young metal guy, that you never imagined, like never. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna roll out in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's just crazy. <laughs> and I'm gonna go. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, so so. What were the kids like? And it was exactly the same. I've toured all over the world, and it's always the same. A crowd is always the same. It's but really they were allowed to. They were allowed to wear like black shirts. They wore black shirts. They had their hair down. They headbanged. Other people were in full religious attire. They had their um, hair down. Yeah, they, they had long hair and shit. Yeah, yeah. In the past five years, Saudi Arabia has opened up a lot. So, so the, the religious wow. police doesn't exist anymore, from what I saw and what I was told. Uh, we were actually brought out there by a girl named Gigi. It's, it's a girl that runs Heavy Arabia that brought us out there, which is amazing. Unbelievable. Yeah, man, that's what a what it a dream was crazy. gig. I mean, I'd be, I'd be, I would definitely be terrified a little bit, but uh, I'd be so intrigued. What, what a, what a, a gift! Like you, as a young metalhead, could never. I mean, when, whenever could we imagine being? No, you know, and all the other cool places we all get to go exactly. to as well. I mean, it's one and, of then, the greatest... and then, and then we, be, we beat Metallica going there, which was also a nice little thing. But yes, yes, <laughs> it was a good press headline. I'll say that. Thank you, Frank, for Metal Injection for for making that spread around uh, for me. Um, yeah, yeah. Back to your voice. <laughs> Uh, I totally gave him everything. Back to your voice. Um, <laughs> did you talk- plan it at TMZ? <laughs> I totally did. Back to your back to your voice. Talk to me about discovering this voice, and I wanted to say this too because I listened to it again today. Um, back in that era, I've toured with Obituary, 
And the tardy didn't know what he was saying. He was just screaming sounds. Right. Whereas something that you really came across, and we spoke about it before, was the enunciation pronouncing just so well the whole time. What was that difference of, like, you back then? You know, Chuck obviously had a sort of similar uh, staccato, high, aggressive vocals like you that's also very well enunciated. Uh, where did that all come from, and that how did that all stem from you? It's just something that came out of you naturally. Um, very powerful vocals, because I was, I was listening to Time today. Well, thank you. I, I, I think that um, no, I was just trying to find my way, but uh, but I'm a huge fan of Rush, and really? uh, you know, and, and I always thought lyrically, you know, Neil Peart, the stuff he wrote was just beautiful and poetic, and oh, so I, I really see that want now with everything. I, no, makes sense. I, yeah. I, I, I want to write things that are. So I, if I'm going to write things that are interesting, I, I want to be able to have them be understood as much as possible. Um, so one of, one of the things I've noticed that that a lot of people when I when I see lyric videos that are modern, I, I realize that a lot of people will split a sentence, split a word between two sentences, mm-hmm. which is something I would never do. I don't think I would. Like, do that yeah. And so there would be no way that you could figure out what that fucking word was if you were just listening along. If you didn't have Google to pull it up. So True. when I was younger, like the only way you could figure out what somebody was saying was if they told you or. <laughs> <laughs> or you, the lyrics were on the album, or whatever. But but uh, yeah, to split a word between two phrases is uh, really strange to me. So anyway, I, I guess I probably have a uh, um, you know a full interest in being understood. So um, and singing as well. I'll, instead of screaming, um, when you're when you're singing, it's really important to enunciate in order to hit the note that you want to yeah. hit. You know, that um, you got to get the vowel to, to, to vibrate there. Yeah, to reach that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that note. So, um, so probably from that. But um, you know, at the time, all of our contemporaries, you know, obituary, deicide, um, you know, nasty savage, uh, we were all coming from different ball fields. But it was all under the same, I don't know, the same philosophy. You know, it was just such a weird time back then. It was so cold. It's unbelievable what Florida had, and then you know, San Francisco with thrash, Montreal with death metal. Now in, the, in like the 2000s and with Gorguts and Cryptopsy and all that. Just just unbelievable how these little, let's, let's call it a hotbed, happens. And it's it, there's no recipe to create a hotbed. It just happens. Yeah, and it's beautiful to be a part of it. It's you know unbelievable. I mean? Because you don't realize it's happening when it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you just think no. that that's what's going on everywhere. And uh, <laughs> but, but it's... Uh, but, but, you know, we definitely there's always been this signature West Coast California thrash sound, and there's always been that that Southern floor, you know, Southern it's Florida nasty swamp death metal. Like people were just like, "What the fuck are was going on down there?" Um, but you know, it wasn't like uh, everybody sounded the same. No, and that's it's it's you know, and Florida is not a big place. You can drive across it in a day, less than a day, and to have that many different entities come out from one small place. Yet you guys are all probably being influenced by each other, happy sense of competition with each other. Competition, definitely, yeah. but I don't know about influence from me. I think we all are, are children of Nasty Savage. Um, you know, all, all the actual, you know, because they, they just really encompassed this uh, violent um, showman but technical, like they, you know, if you listen to the riffs, the guitarists, there's some really great guitarists. Now, you know, Ronnie's vocals are are um, also uh, sort of from what was happening before that. So, it, so how old are you? Are you I'm 40 years I, old this year. Okay, so yeah. So back then it was like uh, power metal and, and bands with great singers. Like Crimson Glory used to practice like a couple doors away from us. And they got signed to Atlantic. And we were down in our warehouse and we were just like... <sighs> Fuck man, you know, just watching them get go off on tour with Metallica, and there was sabotage, yeah. and uh, so that was what was happening in Florida. It was it was all about, you know, good looking dudes, fucking they could sing their ass off, and uh, and we were just back there like, <laughs> and uh, so you know, at the time it seemed like oh man, but so that's what makes me really proud of me and my friends is that we were all like fuck that. You know, we're we're gonna stick to our guns. We're gonna we're gonna play fast, and you know, we just love that aggression um, so much that uh, you know that we we trudged on past what was happening at the time. So Nasty Savage was right in the middle because Ronnie's vocals had like a 
I don't know, he had that wrestling quality to him, you know, as a front man. But then his vocals, he had a, like, you know, that high vocal. Um, but musically, it was it was moving, and it wasn't, you know, super fast or anything. But you know, Mormon Angel really kind of set that up, you know. And, and then uh, Obituary was called Executioner at that time, and um, you know, we all just I, I remember a huge hotel party that happened. That uh, it was like a Rocky Point Beach Resort, it was called, and Massacre played, uh, Sabotage, I think, played, Nasty Savage played, um, Morbid Angel played. It was like this crazy um, Quentin Tarantino scene in a motel on the beach in Florida <laughs> with all this weird ass music. Like, yeah, it was so cool, man. And, um, and so we were still unsigned at that point, so we were like, you know, like, wow. And it was just, uh, you know, when you're when you're when it's happening, I, I you know you, you don't realize that it's sort of happening. You know I mean, you're having fun, you're looking around, but it's so cool, man, to look back thirty years now and and and, and run into my, you know, run into Mike Browning. You know, what I mean, and be like, what's up? And we're all gray haired, and we're you know, but we're still fucking banging it out. You know, what yeah. I mean, like nobody would have ever guessed that that you know that alumni would still be banging it out at a top level. You know, I mean, these days, I mean, Cannibal Corpse has been around for a fucking ever. You know, and uh, but it was it was competitive, I, I, you know, not in a negative way at all. No, uh, no. Scott, Scott Burns really loved it. You know, as a producer, he was just like, "What a dream, man!" You know, I mean, I had all these great bands right at my fingertips um, to produce differently. You know, mm-hmm. there's um, you know an obituary record and an atheist record are two totally different animals um, that he you know, and then he, he captured you know, jump him. over, like he jump captured, over do yeah. Sepultura yeah. and do Death. You know, I mean, there's four different animals That's all in the same vicinity, kind of. You know, so that was kind of cool. You know, about production, I want to hit on that because you you handle production back in the day, you handle production now. Talk to me about that, the evolution of production, and um, just just you know, because back in the day the more sound there was no guidebook there was no youtube tutorials of how to record fast drums you guys had to learn how to do this yourselves yeah. and, and find a way to make it work and nowadays everything is a lot oh, especially man. in the mid 2000s 2010s everything was really fake for a long time now it's trickling back to becoming more organic but it's never going to be as organic as it used to be so talk to me about the evolution of production and your involvement in it is it something you still love um let's just go with that yeah absolutely i think you know one of the things you touch on there is you know it'll never be the same but as a result of the production advancements music changed because you know you could never have the kind of double bass drumming that happens now flo monet could not be who he is if things if technology didn't change and that's not a slight on flo in any way it's just to say that flo recognized and flo and his contemporaries recognized the ability to clean up that sound now scott burns and morris sound were game changers back in the day because you had a lot of a lot of german thrash a lot of you know west coast thrash, and, and the kick drum you know if you listen to uh, kill them all, you know. Um, even even Rain and Blood, you know, uh, Angel of Death. That was, that's a real, you know, that's before triggers, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's about as fast as you can go without it sounding wonky. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And as soon as it, that got honed in, it's like somebody gave a really brilliant artist a better paintbrush. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and so and, and that grew. What can you paint that, with this now? Yeah. Yeah, unbelievable! Like turn of events. You know, drummers now are just fucking stunning. You know, and, and um, so that was never a possibility back then. But I've always been um, just, you know, I, I, one of the reasons why we worked with Scott was we heard the obituary demo and we were like, oh, my God, you can hear the ticka, 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 ticka. We were like, oh, you can hear it, you know, because you couldn't really hear it. on like mm-hmm. Sodom and, 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 and old recordings and something. You know, it was kind of messy. You could tell it was double lost, bass. But it was lost in the yeah, next thing. Yeah. And so uh, and that wasn't even that fast. So as speed became um, more and more prevalent it was important for those production things to, to jump like that so and now I'm just 100% blown away and so is Scott Burns like I, I can tell you we just did this Till the Dirt record together it came out last year in Nuclear Blast and when I sent him the demos that I did on my laptop he was like the fucking drums sound amazing he's like I can't believe that you did those drums on your laptop and I'm like I know dude I'm just as old as you are man I'm fucking like I, I, if I had this when I was a kid, exactly. I would have wrote. I would have wrote a hundred albums. Exactly. You don't have to wait you know for I mean? um, You don't have to wait for no. a drummer to show up. <laughs> or here, drummer, play this a hundred times in a row. Play this for the next ten minutes, so I can work out this yeah. guitar riff. Like, yeah. 
that's that alone like those things are like so um game changing man and i i i as soon as covid hit i got a setup a little daw setup and uh, i got the stl tone hub guitar stuff and, and scott burns sent me a bass and and off i went i wrote like 25 songs in like six Holy weeks shit. And, that's where tell the truth came from yeah, yeah, I played all the guitar and programmed the drums and, and did all and put it all together in, in the demo. And then when Scott became involved, and, uh, you know, I was in the middle of songs and, and he was helping me as, a, as an actual producer instead of when the, back in the day he was engineering uh, yes. and then kind of producing as well. So this was a different role for him because technology had gone to a level that had surpassed him just being able to jump back into the game. You know, he's an old school producer that works on tape, you know, tape and and uh, the way things used to be analog. So um, but he was just so uh, even, you know, even now he was able to jump back in his ears. Like there's such value to good ears, you know, produ- like good producers. Like they hear things that we don't hear. Yeah, they absolutely. They, do. They and, really um, do. Yeah. and so he was just so helpful to me. And plus, it was encouraging because he hasn't wanted to work on anything in, in so long. So when I sent him the demos, he wasn't real happy initially that I was going to send him music because we had had such a great conversation on the phone and he didn't want to ruin it by telling me that my new shit sucked. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't have, you don't got it anymore. <laughs> he was like, yeah, you know, he's like, it, 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 it had happened to him a couple of times over oh, the years. And he was yeah. like, oh, people... Oh man, I just fuck. This was such a great conversation. I was bummed when you were like, "Oh, I've got some new music. Can I send it to you?" And I was like, "Oh man." So uh, you know, we laugh about it now. But he he was just like, "How did you record it?" So anyway, we uh, you know, I love the idea. The, you know, and I, I there's really no reason why a young musician these days can't make their statement without the help of a label, without the help of of real finance. And you can do it if you got it. You can do it, and you need to do it. Like the the the, the technology is available to you, uh, right on your laptop, man. You can you can get your point across musically in a way that I you know I can't tell you the primitive nature of uh, of four track in the in the nineteen eighty six like <laughs> you can, where you, you do four tracks and you bounce three yeah. or you know three Onto over and then track. Like, yeah yeah it was like you know <laughs> but isn't it funny though you think about those Beatles records man yeah and Pink Floyd. Like Pink Floyd, man, those records still sound so fucking good. Like, so clear at loud volumes. It's amazing. So production is a really important tool, you know, that I, I'm not a tech head in any way. Like, I am I still use monitors. I don't use an in-ear monitor. I'm not. I'm just just not a tech technical. But I, do, I hate reading directions for anything. I, you know what I mean? I don't know what it is. I just don't. I don't really want to know how something works. I just like it to work. If I turn it on, I need it to work. Well, if it ain't if it ain't broke, if it ain't broke, people gotta like fix it. If my car breaks down, like, and somebody's going to fix my car, and they'll tell me what's wrong with it, I'm like, can you just fix it? That'd be cool. I I really don't. They'll be like, oh, you know, this cord over here goes to the the carburetor, and this. I don't really care. Guitar-wise, too, like, I couldn't fix a guitar. My life depended on it, but I played one for 30 years, and I know how to fucking play the shit out of it. I can change the strings. But I can't set my intonation. I, I, you know, I couldn't build a guitar. I, my life depended on it. So I'm a, I'm a weird character that way. Like I'm just not really into details. As long as you know yourself, that's important. Too. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsins? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right. I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer, and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. Take me to that moment. Um, as I was setting up for this, I didn't know as much as I should about you, is that you did used to play guitar and you had to stop. No, I never stopped. I just stopped on stage. Exactly. But um, that must have been a moment of like, did you have to mourn that part of your stage persona? No, I actually celebrated it. 
to be honest with you. Yeah, that more me, freedom because your hands oh, yeah. were. Yeah, man. I mean, God, that was hard. You, know, you also mentioned that you could you could partake a little bit more in the beforehand. <laughs> but honestly, as much as I'd love to be a rock star and say that was one of the reasons, uh, it's not. No, it was just uh, it was hard. The, the atheist music was difficult, um, and that's what gave me the carpal tunnel exactly. on my thumb. It just yeah. hurt so bad. And and there was also an element where I didn't, you know, uh, maybe these days the the technology is better medically to yeah. have it fixed and, and have it be okay. But I was like, listen, I could still play guitar. I just got to sit down to play. Yeah. So if I sit down, if I sit down, I can sit for six hours and play. Yeah. But if it's I stand up, it's just that up, angle for some reason. It just throws yeah. everything off. Well, it's because I had bad posture singing and playing that crazy ass shit, you yeah. know, and uh, not having proper. Nobody ever taught me how to play guitar. I never learned how to read music or any of that shit. So it was all, and so I was just trying to get through it, man. Intuition, you know, I was just yeah. trying to. There's a lot of shit going on, and, and um, especially with atheists, they, uh, there was a lot of opposite shit going on, and um, so I'm, you know, and the drums at the time were, wasn't like it was this solid fucking four four rolling for me all the time. So it was like tightrope walking all the time, like oh fuck man, and, uh, and that mentally would scare the shit out of me. Oh yeah, uh, we we played one time in New Orleans with Exhorter when Exhorter first got signed. And we first got signed. We were both on um, Godly Records, which was Borivoy's label that he worked at. And uh, and do you remember Exhorter, right? You yes, know Exhorter? Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and this is like pre-Pantera, you know, Exhorter, like they're a fucking killer, and um, still are. But so I'm at the we're at the uh, Storyville Jazz Theater. It's our first road trip as a band, you know. I mean. Uh, Part of us rode up in the back of a pickup truck, and the other part of us rode up in a car. Yeah, yeah. it's old school. One of those, yeah. <laughs> so we get there, and I'm like, all right, man, I gotta change my strings. And these guys come over, and they're like, yo, you wanna get high? And I was like, yeah, you got some pot? Sweet, we don't have any pot. We didn't wanna travel with any because we didn't wanna get in trouble. So I get in the car with these fucking guys, man, and it's about four hours before we're supposed to play. And we smoke a joint, and I'm starting to feel like really weird. Long story short, man, they put cocaine in that fucking joint, man. And I was like, yeah. And it was a really important gig because <laughs> yeah. it was like it was a you know we were just about to get signed and you know and and, and plus there's like you know we're playing with Exhorter and if we suck there he's gonna tell Bory and, and we were just like oh my god and I I couldn't put my strings on man I was like I couldn't I was so like ah. I mean you know, they put like it tasted different like the joint tasted really weird and different I should have known better. Um, but by the time they got me back there, I was pretty jacked up, man. And, and I had a really difficult time. That was a moment where I was just like, oh, man, this is so stressful to, to worry about my amp, whether I'm in tune, mm-hmm. pulling off parts. the riffs. Yeah, playing. Following you know, the drummer. So the idea of um, you know not playing was uh, mentally the where I, I was like, okay, I could do it. Now, the first time we did it, we toured with Benediction in 93, and I didn't know what to do with my fucking hands. So as a singer, I was just like, you can watch the video yeah. of me just like t- trying to figure out what to do with my hands. My whole time of playing, I'm just so used fl- to just start floating. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I had to I had to learn, man. It was uh, yeah. it was this weird process, and it it is something that you know that's another great thing about you, very natural movement that's mm-hmm. so important well, so for a important long time a it was, it was connected to my mic cord for some reason yeah i, I don't mind like hanging yeah. on to like wrapping yeah. around my arm yeah. and that's fucking, i think that's the first the first uh, i don't safe. like a wireless mic i can't do the wireless mic because i i need that cord i mm. i like to, i like to just hang on to it every now and then and just you know it's just uh i don't know it's just a weird you know it's it, it, i love talking to other singers because like you, you know you can kind of um, find out whether we. I, I, I'm still on a, a wired mic. I don't use a wireless. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm how how you. can I do slit your guts where I pull the the wire out of my guts? Come on, with me. And now he sucks at a festival too because it's pretty hard to have a wire at a festival. I know. I was just talking to. I'm I'm, I'm sponsored by endorsed by Audio Technica, and the guys keep saying you need to get a wireless from them. It's for like, no, festivals. you need a ninety a ninety foot cord. <laughs> exactly, it's <was> expensive. Well, <laughs> yeah. it's true though. But, it's true because uh, it literally just happened in Mexico that my cord was just. Long enough is ridiculous. Here's the thing: maybe we could invent like a three foot extension that comes off of a wireless for us to hang on to. Hell yeah! Because that's all. It's, that's all it's really about. Exactly. Just having having something to hang on to. Like for a so if it goes goes down to your knees, <laughs> you can fucking wrap it up and. Blah. 
you know, Chuck, Chuck Billy, has that, up, Chuck know, Billy like, has that little stand that's sick. You yeah, know, he's, he's got his thing. Yeah. Well, that's happened to me inadvertently. Like, I, I'm really hard on mic stands for some reason. I had to buy a couple on the last tour, and I don't mean to. It's just that most of the, you know, from playing some of these clubs, man, the, some of the mic stands they give you are shit. Yes. And I, I need a straight stand. I can never have a boom. Mm-hmm. And and uh, do you use a straight stand as well? I don't use a stand anymore. No. Oh, yeah, at all? No, no. Oh, what do you do with the mic when you're just dicking around? Back. That's it. Yeah. You just hang on to it? I hang on to it head back. You don't ever want to put it down? Mm, very rarely. No, I've never had the... That's sometimes I'll put it down when I jump in the crowd, but I don't do that very often. It's like sometimes I put it down when I jump in the crowd. <laughs> Which doesn't happen very often, but sometimes it happens. <laughs> if I, I know they're the going to catch me. You know, if I jumped in the crowd one time in my whole career, and that was at Hellfest, and I had my like, passport in my back pocket. Oh, no. It was terrifying. You did lose it, though. I, no, but no, what, a, what an ignorant <laughs> idiot. I didn't think, that, you know, no, no I didn't even think, think about it. A, in moments like was, that, you don't think about things like that. It was Steve Flynn, our drummer, afterward. He goes, nice job, dummy. You would have been fucking stuck in France. You know, like, yeah. anybody could have pulled that out of your pocket. Oh, my God. Like, oh, man. Speaking <laughs> about Europe and uh, actually not France. Sorry, France. Um, <laughs> I know. And Spain. Sorry. So many letters from everybody going, oh, man. <laughs> We are hitting Europe together. The unquestionable blasphemy tour 2024 is uh, yeah. starting on February 25th to March 24th. We're going all over Europe. It's going to be a blast together. Uh, talk to me about returning to Europe for the first time in 12 years. And also the UK. Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, like we've never played Northern Ireland. We've That's never played Scotland. Yeah. Um, so excited to go there. But, um, yeah, listen, we... Um, as I was, you know, written about, you know, we we, we were supposed to go over last uh, tour at the end of 2022, mm-hmm. and um, two days before that tour, we were supposed to leave for that tour. Um, one of the guys in the band just decided, I'm not going. I can't go. I don't feel good about this. Um, there was a lot of weird reasons why, like the war. We're going to be in Poland. I was just like, what? And mm-hmm. uh, it was just real rookie shit. And. Um, and so I was left without a band, um, and I, it was really nothing I could do about it. It was catastrophic, um, and I, you know, apologized to all the fans that um, I couldn't really talk about it at the time. You know, just there was a lot of reasons why I couldn't really say what happened, and, uh, and, and also didn't kind of want to. But it was one of the most devastating things to ever happen in my professional career, other than losing our bass player Roger Patterson. I felt I felt in that moment like. I don't know. I don't know if I can fucking do this. I can't. I can't. You know how hard it is to book a tour, to just to be able to tour. And everybody's in. Everybody agrees. Let's let's all. All right, we're going. The tickets are bought. The bus is paid for. Everything. All right, here we go. Forty-eight hours. Uh, I'm not gonna do it. What? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, and and um, you know, a couple of the other guys in the band also weren't gonna do it unless that guy was gonna do it. They didn't feel comfortable about because the material's hard to play. So you can't just like drop in anybody to, to, to play it. So exactly. I get that. But uh, but I had a guy in Boston that could have filled that position and and we should have been able to do it. But um, you know, so anyway, that's the short story of it and it was devastating to me personally. So please know anybody that bought a ticket for that that sees the cancellation. I read a lot of things online, you know, they were hurtful because people were like, Oh you know, I bet it was about money. It's never about fucking money for death metal. So look in my eyes right now and just know that anybody <laughs> that plays death metal can give me a fucking high five and say, Rah. "It's it's not. It's it should never be about that." It's I would never cancel a tour, forty eight hours. I I know you know. I mean, I've been doing this for for too long. But so that's really what happened, and, and it was difficult. So I immediately had to put together a brand new band, and um, and so I was determined to find the best guys, man. And, you know, there's really really cool people that I could love and live with, um, and I I have a band now. This was you know. There were people that told me when that shit happened. Actually, you know, Schmier from Destruction wrote me a letter when it happened, really? and uh, and he's like, he's like, Kelly, you can't you can't have these young guys in your band. You know, you got to get seasoned veterans. You know, and uh, I was like, yeah, but those are difficult too, man. You know what I mean? Because uh, they, you know, they, guys come, that they are, come with egos and they come with baggage, kids, kids and bills yeah. and wives and yeah. things. You know, so there's this. Catch twenty two. So you're going to get it from either age group, but I'd rather get the vicious talent mm-hmm. of of a twenty five year old monster. You know what I mean? And uh, so I, I, you know, all the guys in the band are in their mid twenties to, to early thirties, and and um, you know they're younger than the music they're playing, which is incredible. I think that's so yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's wild. But they play it better than we played it. I mean, they honestly. 
you know, and it's not a slide on the original band. It's just that we we had a lot of problems. Uh, you know, the original guys. Uh, um, you know, Rand was a tremendous guitar player, um, but some not always. You know, not 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 if he not if he had a bad night. You know, what mm-hmm. I mean, and he was kind of sloppier. Today's musicians are just more disciplined, so there's less slop and and, and more. And so I've found, just as a guy that gets to now stand at the front of the stage, that these young guys with their technical ability are playing this shit so tightly that it, you know, the production on those records, those atheist records come from the 90s, you know, you, you got to be a lover of metal to appreciate the, you know, because you compare it to the quality of today. Like, you can listen to serious, you know, liquid metal, and then you hear an old school song, and then you hear a new song, and it's like, holy shit, you know, the production, the, the you know, it's, 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 a, big it's a different era. It's, it's So, but when you, when you hear those Unquestionable Presence songs, or Piece of Time songs, on stage with modern PA and, mo- and great precision picking and players, holy fuck, it moved my, it, it moves those songs in a different way. And uh, I, I, I can't. I even told Steve Flynn, our original drummer, he's very supportive of because you know, he could, he was never able to tour and and uh, he has a big family and, and a great job, corporate job. But he's always been super supportive of me. And and um, so I was like, I want to you know I want to put together a bunch of young assassins, you know, and then go play this music really really well. And um, so and that's what I feel like I have with these guys. You know, they're just so good and they're so sweet and they're amazing. You're gonna you're gonna love them. You know, we're gonna live together for a month. So we are gonna live together for a month. I'm looking very much forward to it. We are we're we're hitting Europe, people. So so if you're listening to this in Europe, come and hang out with us. Uh, yes, please do. Um, we're gonna have a lot of fun. It's gonna be a lot of fun. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna just paint Europe with with wonderful death metal. I'm, I'm yeah, very for, much looking forward. For to me, it. I really I'm a really hands on person too. I've, I have a lot of relationships with people that I've spoken with but never met. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's the time, people. 20 years, yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting those people, you know, I mean, I'm, I, I don't hide out on the bus, or I don't hide out anywhere, I like to come out and meet people, that's why I like going on tour, it's the, it's the perk, it's the perk, you know, you meet so many interesting people, and then, you know, there's a couple along the way that are, you know, yeah, every, 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 every crowd has a punisher, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> here, sign these 100 posters for me, no, no, man, I, we'll do a shot, we'll do a shot, man, I'm not going to sign 100 posters for you, <laughs> just, just, uh, everyone listening, bring Kelly some, 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 some Jägermeister, and yes. you guys know what I want, bring me some nice craft beers, please, and we'll have a good night, oh, uh, you're going to get hooked up, you know, you probably already got your connections already, even, uh, <laughs> Going at it. One last question. Classic Vox and Hops wrap-up question. Something that we will not have to do on tour because we're going to be so responsible. And listen to uh, that that limit that you were speaking about before. But every once in a while, it happens to everyone. And typically, it's when we take that ferry to go into London for some reason, historically with Cryptopsy. What is your hangover cure? It's a good question. I mean, I drink a lot of Mountain Dew. Oh, interesting. So, okay. so Mount, Mountain Dew is, and I mean, when I say I drink a lot of Mountain Dew, like I am such a, like I am, once I, once I land on a brand, man, I land on a brand. I mean, you can look at pictures of me from 1989 when and you're Mountain still Dew drinking Mountain Dew. On, it's sitting on my amp, yeah. You, really? And, and um, Mountain Dew, as opposed to other soft drink, has a bunch of caffeine in it. Is that? Oh, yeah. Caffeine yeah, and way I, more sugar. Is that? Is that? Oh, uh, well, now these days. At 55, I've got my diet kicking, so I've got, and I, and I usually drink the zero, so I've gotten rid of the sugar, but the caffeine is still there. Um, that's why I can, that's why I can drink the Jaeger with the Red Bull. The, the caffeine and the alcohol kind of, you know, they kind of balance out, you know, so I'm fired up, but fucking hammered. Not hammered, but you know what I'm saying, like feeling good. You got a good buzz, yeah. And, uh, I'm a professional partier. I'm, I'm, you'll find, you'll find me to be quite, uh, you know, fun. I'm, I'm fun when I'm, looking, uh, you I'm, know, I'm looking forward my, to it. When my edges are rounded. You know? so, so, I, uh, so, so a Mountain Dew would be your hangover cure. That's my, that's my go-to. With a little bit of, a, you know, from vocally, throat coat right out of the gate. Oh, ha- Hit the throat coat in the morning <laughs> and, and roll with my teeth. That, that, is something, that is something that I do, too. Yeah. I learned that from Ozzy, man. I... I uh, not directly, Ozzy didn't be like, oh, but I saw him. I saw him drinking it on stage, and I was like, "What the fuck is that? Orange stuff in the cup?" And so our tour manager at the time, I uh, was like, "Can you find out what that is?" And he went. He's like, "They have it at, at catering." Ozfest, Ozfest was so sweet, man. That was like, a, it was like another life. That was like a, above ground instead of underground. That's you know? So cool, yeah. Oh my we'll god, I have to yeah, talk like a lot a, about that on tour. Just, it was like a cafeteria every day. I, like, yeah. Like a school cafeteria, except that Rob Zombie was there and fucking all these, you know, it was like, it was like a cool cafeteria. It was cafeteria. a cool cafeteria. <laughs> but they had, they had a catering, um, 
you know, uh, all these different kind of teas, but throat code. And, was, and man, that shit is miraculous. It works. Yeah. Pull, that thing has pulled me through some some uh, throat code. If you want to throw some money towards our tour, uh, you know, I'll, I'll wear a fucking throat code shirt because uh, <laughs> I, I haven't been able to get through some shows because of that. I mean, I, that really got me. They don't get you 45 minutes. No, oh, it totally. It makes you just puts you right in the zone for some reason. Yeah, it just loops up your chords mm-hmm. and, and gets it done. I don't know what the fuck's in it, but it's really... And I've tried other teas. People go, oh, here, try this, try that. I'm, no, I like throat coat the best. Yeah, it has something um, about it. It has elmwood bark. I think that's that's one of the main ingredients, if I remember correctly. Elmwood bark? I feel like that might be it. We'll have to check so, it out. So what, kind of guy is flo- what kind of guy is Flo? Flo's Flo's a chill chiller? guy. He's a chill guy. He likes to drink a few Coors Light and listen to is Boston. You mentioned, you mentioned Boston before, and I was going to... He he likes his Boston. He likes his Chicago. More than a feeling. Exactly. That's funny. Coors Light in Boston. That is that is not what I anticipated. He works out. out. He, uh, he, yeah, yeah. He's a good-looking man. You know, he's a good-looking man. <laughs> We're going to have uh, a good time. Kelly, thank you so, so much for taking the time, hanging out with me, talking about your life. Thank you for having music. me. Talking a little bit about craft beer, a little bit of Jaeger, talking a lot about our upcoming Unquestionable Blasphemy Tour that's coming up real soon. Uh, I'm starting in Berlin. Hell Right, yes. Berlin. Berlin is the first show. Right? I feel like the first show might, you might be right, but I feel like it's Copenhagen, but I could be wrong. I think Copenhagen, yeah, one of those, we'll, we'll be there. We'll, be, uh, we'll, we'll definitely be there together. We'll if it's in Berlin, where I know where I'm going, because I know that craft beer. And if it's cheers, in Copenhagen, cheers, I know where I'm going to. <laughs> Massive cheers to you. Thank Love you so it. much. Mm. Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to me. And you know that I love and appreciate that. Man, I am so excited to go on tour with Kelly, especially after this conversation. I literally wrapped up and grabbed my phone and texted the Cryptopsy guy saying how cool he was. I am sincerely looking forward to playing so many gigs across Europe. The unquestionable blasphemy tour. So damn stoked to be returning to Europe, and I'm stoked to spend each night traveling alongside Kelly and the rest of the Atheist Dudes. We're going to have such a blast. Uh, You should grab your tickets if you have not already, because it's going to be such a killer time. You can go and grab all of your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash Europe. That's voxandhops.com slash Europe's. If you are coming to a gig, let me know. We can hang out. We can drink a beer, uh, bring some Jaeger. For Kelly, as I mentioned, it's going to be such a blast. Massive cheers for Kelly for hanging out with me. I am so goddamn stoked that we did this. Now, if you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcasts mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive one email a week that contains all of the details of everything that has happened in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. You'll get to see which episodes I dropped recently. You will also get to see which episodes I have coming up. You will get to hear about any projects I have in the works for the Vox and Hops Metal podcast, and you will also be updated on whatever I got going on with Cryptopsy. That's right. Cryptopsy, we just dropped our brand new album back in September of 2023, and we are doing a whole bunch of stuff. We are planning a massive 2024, starting with that European tour, uh, the Unquestionable Blasphemy Tour with Atheists that's coming up at the end of February. It's running all across Europe until the end of March. You also get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed recently, and you will get to see which albums Jerry Monk, Vox and Hops' metal architect, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist. There's always a lot of stuff going on in the world of the Vox and Hops metal podcast, and I hate when you miss a single thing, so do me a favor and sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hops Metal Podcast is brought to you by Sound, Talent Media, and Evergreen Podcasts. I hope you have a killer rest of the week. I will be back next week on Tuesday with yet again another episode. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.